This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title today is A Lost Gun. Our author, Wix Simon. I welcome Wix from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome today, sir. Thank you very much, Jay. It's a pleasure to be on with you. A Lost Gun is a murder mystery suspense novel. You have a, a background not as an author specifically, but this book has some of your background and experience interwoven into the storyline. Wix, tell us a little bit more about your novel, A Lost Gun. It's a story of a uh, an inexperienced female detective who, uh, at the start of the story, loses her gun in a shootout. It turns up later as the murder weapon used to kill a prominent attorney who has gone out looking for his runaway teenage daughter who unwittingly has become involved in the human trafficking ring. The aspects of the story that I think are the most compelling to the readers, they don't know where it's going to go. Uh, you can you can be reading along, and of course, as we read, we all form expectations. And one of the things that I think that is is one of my strengths as a storyteller is that I can I do the unexpected. Well, the characters do the unexpected. The story does the unexpected, and that's a for many readers that's a treat. Uh, if you go, I got a number of very good reviews on Amazon for this book, and you can read some of those reviews, and, and uh, I'm not the only one who said that. Wick, share with our listeners a little bit more about your personal and professional background. You are a toxicologist, and you have an interest in law enforcement. I work currently as a self-employed toxicologist with a solo practice, meaning I, you know, I end up doing some expert testimony, so there's a little bit of police work there. I end up writing pieces, either publicate, published papers, white papers for companies and trade organizations, this sort of thing. Very recently, I published a textbook on uh, environmental risk assessment, and I'm currently teaching that course at the University of Georgia and using my own textbook, which is very cool. Absolutely. Uh, I started I started writing in really sort of in about uh, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. I went away to, to boarding school in seventh grade, and as part of that application process, I had to write essays, and my daddy would help me with those. And it was a lot like that scene, I'm sure you remember in the movie, A River Runs Through It, right. where the son would write a paper, bring it to the, the dad, and he would uh, correct it and take a look at it and send, send uh, the son back to do it again. And my experience was very much the same. When I got to school, I took a story uh, that I had read uh, about a year before, this is in seventh grade, in Boy's Life, and we had a, a long story to do at the end of the year, either an essay or a story. And I used part of the story. It was about cheating in school. And so I, I wrote a story about how uh, one fellow got the idea of writing this story from a magazine, and he wrote it, and there was a, there was a, 
a lot of the story was a soliloquy about guilt and the guilt he felt. I turned this in and I got an A on it. And the next year in eighth grade, I took the same story and reworked it. And this time it's a sort of self-copying, self-plagiarism, if you will. The uh, protagonist of the story used a, used a piece he'd written in the past and reworked it and turned it in. I really kind of liked the symmetry of how the story mirrored what I was doing. And I, I kept this, the soliloquy and guilt in, about guilt in there, and I got an A on that, too. I did the same thing in ninth grade, and I got an, a third A. Huh. And what that told me is two things. One, that I was probably a pretty good writer, and two, that my teachers didn't ever really talk to each other. And those were two pretty valuable lessons. What an amazing story. Uh, I, I wrote a couple of novels, uh, or made attempts at writing a couple of novels in my 20s, and how shall I put it? Like I was at the time, they were immature. They were very, very thick. I do not have copies of those books anymore, which is probably just as well. One of the strengths, I think, of um, the story uh, A Lost Gun and a current uh, novel that I'm attempting to finish called Poison is that they're, very, they're lean and spare. I really try not to give the reader more than he needs. This allows me to put those twists in that I talked about earlier and to create suspense, but also not to give the reader so much that he feels he or she feels sort of hemmed in. In other words, there's a lot of room for the reader to put their own imagination, put the, their own the stamp of their own experience on this story. So I'll, especially in the part about what the characters are feeling. So I, I really try to keep it very factual in that regard. Wix, you've got a very evil villain in this story. Would you like to talk about him? Tell us a little I bit more. I certainly could. He's, he's, uh, uh, he's something else. He's, uh, I won't be giving too much away if I say he's a cop gone bad. He's big and strong. He's probably about 6'5", 250 pounds, the size of an NFL linebacker. Anything he wants, he takes, and he can get away with that. The other character that I think is, is that I really like, it is a fascinating character, is the daughter, is the runaway daughter. She's wise and old beyond her years, but she's also extremely naive, if you can think of those two in the same character. Her actions and what happens to her is absolutely pivotal in moving the story forward. And she is transformed in the story. A lot happens to her. She grows in the story. She changes. She may be my favorite character in the book. I do want to say one thing about the overall theme of the story, human trafficking. I would encourage readers to take a look at an organization that tries to address this issue. I, this is, I mean, essentially, we're talking about slavery here. And I'm you know, concerned about this issue. It's happening all over the world. That organization is called the Polaris Project, and I donate to them, and I would encourage readers to take a look at them. You can find them on the Internet, Polaris, like the North Star Project, and make a decision about whether you want to uh, donate to them as well. Worthwhile advice, absolutely. What was the most powerful advice related to life or writing that you've received? I have an editor that I absolutely love, and uh, she makes me she makes me dig deep every time, every comment she writes. And it's it occurred to me she edited a lost gun, and about halfway through it occurred to me that uh, she was forcing me to do the very very hard spiritual work, if you will, that is associated with writing. And it's it's become clear, whether I'm writing a novel, whether it's a textbook, there are aspects of it that will force you to examine yourself, examine your beliefs, 
examine your worldview in such a way that you will need to to doubt and question those. And that's why I say it is a spiritual experience. I think that's the that to me is the most challenging aspect of writing. Since I've been doing this fairly successfully now since seventh grade, as I as I related, and in my work as a toxicologist, I, I end up writing something every day. My, you know, I'm pretty fluent by this time. I don't have trouble putting words together, and I'm sure you can tell that from this interview. I love it. <laughs> what I do have, what I do struggle with, is these these issues of uh, character, these issues of motivation, these issues of the human condition, and what it actually means to be human. And that's really what I try to bring to bear on on my fiction writing and the, the characters that I create. Who do you think is going to um, enjoy reading your book here? I think people who enjoy mystery and suspense novels. That's what it is. And I did not, I, I was not intending at all to write War and Peace. This book is about 250 pages. It's an afternoon read. You will a while away the afternoon at Starbucks or perhaps stay up later than you had planned at night. But it's not a it's not a multi-day task, as is, say, reading a book by Thomas Pynchon or, you know, War and Peace by Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. I started to get into this a long time ago. I was coaching a, a girls' soccer team. My daughter was on it, and the other gentleman coaching it had been the lead investigator of the missing and murders children's case, children's, in Atlanta in the, uh, I think that was the uh, early 80s. Correct. And so we talked a lot, and we became friends, and he was the, he had been to the FBI uh, Behavioral Science School in uh, Quantico, Virginia, and I went down to several of his lectures that he gave at the uh, uh, Georgia State Public uh, Safety Training Center, and I would ride down there with him, listen to his lecture, and I really learned a lot from that about how police work goes. So really, I you said I have professional experience in police work. I really don't, but I think... In one sense, I learned what I needed to know from from this gentleman, who I believe is now retired. But he was very, very helpful to me, and uh, uh, we're still good friends. How long did it take you to put your book together and actually get it to press? Well, let's put it this way. The first draft went pretty quick. I got that done in about six months, and then it was about another four months to complete the edits once I got those back. And after that, it was pretty quick. You know, once you have a completed uh, completed work like that, it's... You know, now that we have electronic publishing, it goes quite quickly. And where does this story take place for the readers? Uh, it's in it's in Atlanta. Uh, I think there's there's a couple of people who have written about Atlanta uh, from uh, written mystery suspense novels about Atlanta. Bill Deal is the one who comes to mind. Wrote a book called Sharkies in the seventies, I believe it was. But there really haven't been a lot. And I've lived in Atlanta for a long, long time. I arrived in Atlanta in 1972. And I've lived here on and off ever since. So I know the town well. It allows me to think of where things might take place. I've seen the town grow. I think all that is helpful. And how would you introduce this book to someone? This is a short read, generally speaking. A Lost Gun uh, is a good uh, good story. grabs your attention. It, it does. It does. It grabs your attention from the get-go. There's no secret as to who the bad guy is and just... What a nasty character he is! You learn that. You learn that within the first chapter. So where that goes is not so clear from the first chapter, and that's where you have to keep. That's where you have to keep reading. As an author, are there any other authors that you enjoy reading? Uh, there are. I like 
I very much like James Lee Burke, uh, who writes uh, detective stories about a New Orleans uh, police detective named Dave Robichaud. Uh, I like James Elroy, uh, who wrote uh, mysteries about the Los Angeles police from the 1940s on. He's a pretty well-known author. I have a love-hate relationship, I'll put it that way, with a gentleman named Thomas Pinchon. He wrote a book that he's most famous for called Gravity's Rainbow uh, that won the National Book Award in 1974. Uh, his most recent book is called Bleeding Edge. It's about the, not so much a mystery, but just a, a, a fictional tale about possible events that could have happened during the dot-com boom and the run-up to 9-11. I enjoyed reading reading that one. Some of the others, others not so much. They're they're what I would call they're not what I did. They're long books. They're they're six, seven, eight hundred page books. So they, you can't read them in an afternoon. I should say uh, where you can get this book and where you can learn a little more about me. I have a website and it's really pretty easy. It's wixsimon.com. That's w-i-x-s-i-m-o-n.com uh, and if you go there, you can get a link to uh, buy the book on Amazon. The book, as I say, the book is available on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, and you can get it. Uh, you can get hardbound. You can get paperback. Uh, I will recommend you get the electronic version, the Kindle edition, if you use a Kindle. I think it's also available on the Barnes and Noble Nook, and the the price for that is just under four dollars. Fabulous. So uh, it's a lot more cost-effective for a lot of people to read that read, read it electronically. Good recommendation. Are there key characters in this book that will travel forward into other storylines that you're perhaps developing? Uh, the book that I'm I'm working on right now, that uh, with the title of Poison, also is also details part of the life of Detective Bud Pryor, who is uh, one of the protagonists, one of the heroes in uh, A Lost Gun, and I have. I'm going to stay with him. I came up, I wrote uh, a book that I'm probably not going to take anywhere in 1993 about a serial killer. And Detective Bud Pryor was a minor character in that book. I've subsequently abandoned some of the other police characters in that book, and I concentrated on Bud Pryor. He's totally a creation of my, my own. He does, not, he does not represent any living person. His only comes out of my imagination and well, maybe that's why I like it uh, is uh, you know he's not a big strong man but he's very very intelligent and that, that's why he does well as a as a detective we hope to visit with you about that story when it's released this book is titled a lost gun and our author is Wix Simon thank you Wix for joining me today thank you so much Jay my pleasure for iUniverse this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station.
Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage, connectwithjulianainmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Today we talk about a, um, oh, I would call it a sports book, but it's not really. The title is Misleading. It's Golf Balls Are Female. And our controversial author, who's not really controversial, is Robert C. Knox. Dr. Bob, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Unusual title, unusual subject material. Tell us the background and what motivated you to put this together. Well, the title is kind of, you can find it in the book. Uh, you know, I'm a male, and I play golf with a lot of males, and whenever we hit a bad shot, you know, we call the golf ball deriding female terms, uh, <laughs> as you can imagine. And whenever the the golf ball goes where we want, we call it honey, darling, whatever. So that's where I came up with golf balls or female. But then again, we as males fail to react that we're the reason that the golf ball doesn't follow the path that we want it to right. <laughs> it's all our fault ultimately so this is sort of a tongue-in-cheek title tell me yeah, a little bit more about your experiences in here you managed to pen 281 pages and besides being an author you are a uh, college professor am i getting the right gist of your biography yes i'm a professor at the university of oklahoma i'm actually a civil engineer, but my, my, my expertise is in environmental engineering, more specifically in groundwater. But yeah, I'm a professor at OU. But I wrote the book. It's just a somewhat fictionalized version of a 25-year period of my life with a couple of buddies. You came to Oklahoma from, was it New Mexico or, or somewhere west of uh, Oklahoma? Yeah, I left uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico and came out here to Norman, and I got all of my degrees here at the University of Oklahoma, all three degrees, and then I left for a couple of years. I went to a small school in Louisiana, and then OU hired me back, which they usually don't do, but they were focusing on a, a unique area, groundwater contamination, which is my expertise. So I applied, and they gave me the job, and so I've been in Norman, Oklahoma most of my life. The books full of stories, are they all true? Uh, yes, 
Uh, essentially, they're all true. I changed, obviously changed the names, but yeah, they're all true. They all happened. Which of the stories that you've written stands out as the most amazing story that you've penned? Oh, I think the the time that we got to go play uh, golf up at Karsten Creek in Stillwater, Oklahoma, very, very, very nice golf course. And I had one of my usual bad shots at, uh, at Carson Creek. I actually hit a tree. The ball came back and hit me, and then I fell down on my club and impaled myself on my wedge and knocked the wind out of me. I think people will enjoy reading that because most casual golfers have shots like that. Not all of us hit it like you see the pros do. Your main character, his name is Monty. Are all his experiences true? Uh, describe him to me. Well, I met Monty, gosh, when I first came to Oklahoma, I actually met him through a friend, and he was in the Navy. And uh, then he got out of the Navy and moved back here with his first wife. And by that time, I was in graduate school, and he divorced his first wife and moved in with me. And uh, it was a truly an, you know, an Oscar uh, and Felix relationship. He was a very, very, very anal neat freak. And I'm not. So I guess it was kind of a opposite to track. But, uh, yeah, he provided me with all the, all the stories, all the, all the things in there, all his trials and tribulations with women. Some of them are really hard to believe. They are essentially all true. What are three things people should know about the average golfer? Well, I put it in there. First of all, the average golfer does not practice like they should. Most of the, and I've been in plenty of leagues, and I know this for a fact, most of us come running up just before our tea time and grab a beer and hop in the cart. So we don't practice, and we don't follow the rules. Uh, you know, we're pretty liberal in our interpretation of the rules. That's, that was one of Monty's great gifts was uh, picking up short putts. Technically, you haven't putted in. If you pick it up before you put it in, any, any score you report is incorrect. Is that three or is that two? Uh, that's, a, that's a couple of them. Okay. Well, most most important is uh, the casual golfer never practices, and we all cheat. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling tales that probably some golfers don't want told, that there are actual... You know, the one thing I'll never understand is uh, these designer handicaps. People will lie about their handicap. That doesn't make any sense. You know, you, you'll say, oh, I'm a 5, when you're really a, a 12. That doesn't help you when you go and play in a tournament and they use handicaps. Mm. Of course, lying the other way is called sandbagging. All right. But I've never understood why people would uh, uh, cheat their handicap down lower than it actually is. But you'll see a lot of that. And which way do you prefer to tell your handicap? Well, I'm <laughs> uh, I'm a bona fide 19, which means legit. You know, 19 over par is uh, probably an average round for me. Your book has, I'm sure, some underlying messages that may be serious or not serious. Uh, what would those be? Well, uh, on the serious side, I, you know, I became very frustrated uh, with Monty and all his escapades with women, and I really didn't understand some of it. And it got, if you read the book, it gets really kind of weird near the end. I mean, he cashed in his IRA to buy a vehicle for a woman. He barely knew you know I, I i just was devastated when he told me that i go well you did what he got engaged to a woman um after two weeks who'd been married six times oh boy 
and I was going, Lonnie, look, you know, I'm not passing moral judgment. I'm sitting there going, can we step back and examine this? You know, maybe six marriages, maybe she has a little bit of a problem with relationships, and you ought to get to know her a little bit better. But, you know, he got he got in, in, increasingly desperate as he grew old, uh, older. He just had to have somebody and would go to these just uh, unbelievable lengths to try and attract a woman. Mm. It provided, I, I hate to say it, but it was it provided me some, you know, entertainment. But, man, I can't imagine what he was going through. He was obviously desperate. There are some behind-the-scenes reasons you wrote this book. What motivated you to finally put some things on paper? Well, that's when one of the questions was in the questionnaire, why'd you do it? And I said, well, for catharsis, you know, I did, he died at a very young age. We played golf, and the next day he had a stroke and died the day after that. And, you know, he was only 42 years old. Wow. And so I just started to, you know, and I'd be driving around doing all my engineering stuff. I had a little handheld recorder, and I would, just for my own sake, I would, tell stories into the recorder and I would be laughing and I got enough stories where I said well maybe I should put this down on paper so it took me about five years to write it but I, I think it was really cathartic you know after going through that with a really good friend who do you think is going to be your your audience who's going to enjoy reading this book well anybody well I think you know of course I'd like to think anybody would enjoy it um, it's mostly humorous it's not meant for the country club golfers. I, they they would be appalled at some of the behavior. But you know, I, I I've gotten reviews from both males and females, and you know, uh, I think anybody who enjoys humor, uh, even some of our sophomoric stunts, but there there's some there's a lot of humor in there. But so, I think the ending is what'll grab people. Do you think you may have written something that might be the groundwork for? Maybe another Caddyshack movie. The movie? Um, no, it would be a little bit more sophisticated than Caddyshack. Yeah, we do a lot of crazy things on the golf course, but I think the more entertaining part is all the trials of tri- and tribulations of Monty and his uh, romantic escapades. And is there anything you want readers to take away from reading this book besides the enjoyment and the entertainment side? You know, I don't profess to be a psychologist or anything like that. I, I'm still to this day don't understand all the the things that he did i mean and i've already told you some of them you you know why would you go cash in your ira to buy a woman a car that you don't even really he didn't even know her Hmm. and it wasn't that you know monty was monty was a good-looking guy and had lots of girlfriends but in his as he got older i think he was uh worried about uh being alone in his old age interesting what is the single most entertaining or auspicious scene that's in the book that's going to grab the reader? Well, I put one in the questionnaire about the one of the many times that we went down to the OU Texas game. Yeah, I'll be honest. On the way down, Monty was driving, and I was drinking beer and, and getting pretty happy. And he he was, of course, really nervous because we were in his grandmother's car. So I was going through her glove compartment I found a big tube of lipstick bright red red lipstick and put it on my lips <laughs> Uh-oh. and Monty was going Bob put that away put that away and I said give me a kiss and I will and I reached over and kissed him and it left the you know the the that. imprint of my lips on his cheek and he went ballistic it's funny I mean I tortured the poor guy a lot there's 
several scenes about OU Texas. Um, if you've, I, if I, people have never been to OU Texas. Of course, I'm a little bit biased. I said it's the uh, greatest football college football game in the country because it's held at the you know the Texas State Fair, and we went to a lot of them. A lot of fun. There's several OU Texas stories in the book. Well, it's a classic rivalry for sure, and uh, a big event every year in Texas for those who are outside oh, yeah. the United States. That's a big deal. Uh, I don't think there's any bigger college sport game in the country. That's the way I feel. I just went to my 38th in a row, and I'll go next year. Was there anything challenging about writing this book and uh, telling your story? Uh, that that is a good question. That was one on the the kind of related on the form. The most challenging part was uh, getting up the courage to relive the the horrible ending. You know, it doesn't end on a happy note, and that's kind of what I was hoping would attract some or, or intrigue. I don't want the readers to know, but the, you know, it's mostly humor up until the end. Um, but I, you know, I had to be honest, and they. The, the, a couple of reviews that came back said I did a good job with the uh, the death and the funeral. You know, right. I showed sufficient respect after all the outrageous behavior early on in the book. It does end. Well, based on uh, real-life experiences, but some of the names and events changed slightly to make it yep. more useful and readable. Our author is Robert C. Knox. The title of the book, Golf Balls Are Female. Dr. Bob, thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for calling. This was fun. And where can we get a copy of your book? You know, I published it. Uh, for those that are interested in publishing their work, I just uh, went online and I uh, published it through iUniverse. That's the publishing company, but I think you just go online and uh, type in the, the title or, or my name and you can purchase it almost anywhere. But it, it was published by iUniverse. Fabulous. And anything else that you're planning to do as far as the writing field in the future? Well, I don't know that I'm... Uh, of course, I'm going to continue to be a professor, and I'm writing uh, technical papers right now. Everybody keeps telling me that I need to write something, another book or a sequel or something. My girlfriend wants me to write a children's book, but uh, I can't get the university to pay me to do that. <laughs> well, we look forward to, to uh, keeping in touch if something should break in the future and you write another a blockbuster novel like this one. Golf Golf Walls are female. Robert C. Knox, Dr. Bob, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us 
for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is In the Time of Peacocks, and our author is Lynn Handy. Welcome, Lynn, to the program. Thank you very much. And this is the first of your many books that you've written, but the first one that's been published. That's correct, yes. Lynn, tell me, why did you write this book? What motivated you to put it together? I was motivated by tragedy. In uh, 2005 and 2006, two of my grandsons, for different reasons, killed themselves. The family was torn apart after that, like, like families often are. And I tend to write out my grief and my feelings, my passions, and so forth, and I was motivated by that, by the tragedy, to try to put in a fictional form what had happened to my family. I had a question on my mind, can people forgive each other? And what happens, what happens when so much time passes? and you don't speak, and you have no relationship. And, of course, I was kind of living this type of thing out in my personal life, but I was writing a fictional story and came to the conclusions that I did in my book. The story that you've written takes place when? Well, it starts out in Mexico. My protagonist is a young girl, and she's been kidnapped. She doesn't know that she's from Indiana, and she will discover that when she's 15, and there's an automobile accident and she's returned to her birth family who happened to live on a farm uh, in Indiana. It's, it's, it's kind of a saga in a way. It goes throughout her life. She starts out and, and we know that she was kidnapped at age five and at the end of the book she's 60. So it's a story of her life and, and how she deals with events that happen in her life, one of which is a tragedy that nearly destroys her family her relationship with her daughter and how she put, and she puts it back together again, how she works to do that. Your main character's name is Kate, and she yeah, is a is person of faith yeah. that happens to be a Catholic and believes the tenets of her faith. Yes, she is Catholic, heavily Catholic, although she wasn't uh, Catholic in the first few years of her life on the farm in Indiana. The kidnapped family was Catholic, and so she was too. It's Kate's story. There are several things about her life, I suppose, that are similar to mine. I was raised on a farm in Indiana. Certainly, I was never kidnapped and taken to Mexico. But there are a few things that are uh, that are similar. Who did you feel would be your target audience? Who's this going to appeal to, and, and why? Well, I found in reading it to groups that men like it. The woman pro- protagonist told from nearly all her point of view. I found that my young business counselor likes it. Uh, he's probably 30, male. And, and women who went through the, particularly went through the social upheavals of the 60s and 70s, like to, to remember. And the, the historical parts of the book are true. It, it's heavily researched. Younger people like it. I don't know that I sat down and said, I'm going to write this so this will appeal to this group or another. But I've found that several groups of people have are reading it and, you know, have a positive... They're not bored. 
Wonderful. You know, you've managed to, to write 494 pages. The title, In the Time of Peacocks, what is the significance of that title? It's, it refers to a happy time, a time of happiness, a, a, a memorable time that way. The peacocks uh, appear in, in the Mexican portion at the beginning of the book, and uh, that, of course, is Kate's or Katerina, as she has, is then. That is her happiest time. And what one thing would you like readers to take away from reading your book? Oh, the precious nature of family and and relationships. There are several things along the way that uh, my protagonist, Kate, could have done differently and perhaps avoided some of the, the, the pitfalls that came about. But, yeah, that love, family love, how important it is. In your book of 494 pages, there must Actually, be... Actually, I think it's 486. 486. <laughs> Almost 500. Well, the, the extra five or six pages might be the pages that introduce the book. Of the book that you've written, is there a scene in there that if I, as a movie producer, read your book, would think, that would make a great story. That particular scene would really grab people. Which scene would that be? Maybe the first scene where the 15-year-old girl is in the church, and uh, she is having, uh, she is Katarina, but she's really Kate Miller. And she's, she's in the church, she's in Mass, and she's worshiping, but, you know, there's something that makes her mind go back to a memory, a series of memories that she has from her past that she can't place, she can't, they, they make her crazy, they... Uh, make her think that the witch of some sort and a sinner. I think that would be a good scene, yes. Are there any other scenes that might also be utilized? Well, the end, but I don't want to tell that. No, don't tell the end. We don't want to know um, the end of the story. No, maybe maybe uh, the scene where she accidentally runs over her grandchild and mm. kills him. That's a pretty, a pretty powerful scene. That's a powerful thought right there. In introducing this book to someone, how would you... Talk to someone about reading your book. What would you suggest to them? You know, what makes it unusual is that Kate, or as Caterina, learned about uh, the poetry of Federico Garcia Lorca while she was in Mexico. And throughout the book, rather than have her turn to the Bible or something else, she turns to the passionate poetry of Lorca as her guidepost. And that's what makes it different from the, the genre of women's fiction, that, which was also fun to write. That would definitely set it apart from most of the books out there. Most people are not familiar with Garcia Lorca's poetry. No, but maybe it's time for a revival. Might be, absolutely. There's always room for learning more, and you as a poet would know a lot about that. His poetry is so uh, lush. It's so full of passion and yearning, And, and this book is about yearning, too. It's about Kate yearning for her identity, to figure out who she really is. It's yearning for the love of a man, yearning to to relate to her child better. And, of course, Lorca's poetry is all about that. Tell me about your characters in specific. Are there words that would describe, let's say, Kate or Joel? Kate is very bright. She's a precocious child. She's very bright, and she strives. She's always missing something, and that, that is that part of her that she yearns for, that she can't find, that she can't identify. She's capable of great love, but she's also aloof, which causes her trouble with her child, and maybe even her first husband. Joel is a man who 
was brought up on the farm, and when he gets a touch of the business world and the successes that come with that, you know, going to nightclubs, this kind of thing, then he becomes uh, almost fanatic about continuing and moving up uh, in his profession. George, her second husband, is, is African-American, and, you know, he's been through the civil rights fight and has come to a kind of inner peace. It's he, uh, as Kate says, who worships the old gods, traditional religion, great faith, or great help to Kate. I'd say those are the three main characters. Very good. And in writing this, was there a challenge that uh, you had to overcome to get this put together, or was it just fun and rewarding? Probably early Miller, the character who is Kate's farmer father. I found that no one liked him when I would read, and, and even though I would drop things throughout to show a softer nature, they wouldn't They wouldn't react to them, they wouldn't see that, they just, particularly women, hated him. Men who had a farm background seemed to understand him better and didn't have that hatred. The story that you've written, is it character-driven or is it action-filled or is there a combination of all of those things? No, it's character-driven, but, but I learned long, long ago that you have to move when I did my work as a, a librarian, a library director, and had to write several things, that you move things along quickly. And so it's fast-paced. Thank you for sharing your information and your background of the story in the time of peacocks. Our author, Lynn Handy. Lynn, where do we get copies of your book? Well, you can get it through iUniverse, uh, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Do you and also a- have a website? Yes, I have a website. It's lynnhandy.com. And Lynn is spelled L-Y-N-N-E. Right. And there's no period after it. It's lynnhandy.com. And I'd love for someone to come to my website so I can communicate about the book. Fabulous. Well, thank you for joining me today. Again, the book title, In the Time of Peacocks, our author, Lynn Handy. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.